Well, good morning. I hope you're here and I hope you're not sick. And those that are hopefully listening online that are, are sick, I'm glad you're at home <laughs> and, uh, and not here. So we've, a lot of people have been struggling with the flu. And I know if you're a teacher, you've been experiencing a lot of sick students. And, and hopefully uh, they're not bringing their sickness to school, but we know they do. And and uh, I've got a family of five. I know all about passing around sickness. So we praise the Lord um, that he brings healing to our bodies. So we've been, we've been looking at Ephesians the last few weeks. And if you're visiting with us, our normal mode of studying God's word is expositional. And what, one of the things that means is we pick books of the Bible and sections of scripture. We study it all the way through. We've been working through Psalms. And, uh, but we've taken, we've taken a little bit of a break. And we've been looking at biblical community. We find ourselves at the last week today in Ephesians 5. And as, as we always do, let us stand today in honor of God's word. Ephesians 5, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 21 today. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children... And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all purity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure <clears throat> or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of, of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, taking no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, speaking and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's Word. Lord, what a, what a book of the Bible it is that you've given us in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. 
so packed full. And Lord, we have just grazed over it as we have been looking at community. And so Lord, help us today to rightly divide your word. To look at the practical application of being made one in your son and with you. May this actually affect our actual lives in community with each other. Oh God, that we wouldn't put this series on a shelf somewhere and forget it, but we would apply it to our life, we pray. Fill us, Lord, with the spirit of wisdom and truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the last five weeks we've been looking at community. We started with the foundation in Christ. And saw that when we're saved, we don't only get Christ, we get His family. This picture is a beautiful picture of adoption, of being adopted into the family of God. Remember we began with Acts 2, 42-47, looking at a model. It serves as a model to, to hold each other accountable to say, okay, well this is the model, how are we doing? Battleground community. How are we doing it in reference to the model of Acts 2? If you don't get anything out of this series, I hope you've got this. The local church is not an add-on to your life. The local church is as much one with your life as Jesus is. He purchased His church and He made us one with her. This is why our vision for growth groups are, is very simple. It's why we do growth groups, our community groups, where we study and share life together. It's why we do what we do. It's why we meet in your homes. It's why we meet in a family context, in the community that you live, so that we might care for each other. So that we might teach each other how to follow Christ and that we might go on mission together, starting where we live. Why is all this important? I'm not going to go there, but if you see it in your notes, Acts 19. Do you know that when the community of faith become the community of faith, it impacts the community that it resides in? It impacts the culture. It's what we see in Acts 19 where the idol worshiper people that were making the idols, the silversmiths, got mad because everybody started turning to Christ and started not coming and getting their idols made. Did you notice in Ephesians he hasn't got the marriage yet? He's about to. That's what's next after Ephesians 5, 1 to 21. He hasn't got there. He hasn't got the children. Why? Because it is this, the community of faith, being healthy. It's what facilitates healthy families and healthy communities. He's labored this. And so this, this morning the message is simple. Community of Christ followers, that's what biblical community is. It is a group of Christ followers who distinctly shine as light in the midst of darkness. We are in the midst of darkness. Very three simple points. We walk in love, we walk in light, and we walk in spiritual wisdom. First, biblical community is a distinct community of Christ followers who walk in love. This could really be our introduction, so to speak. Verses 1 and 2. 
He says, therefore, because of everything I've just said, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So three simple things that are really just two. The first thing is the way I motivate you toward community. It's not saying shame on you. It is to say you're loved. That's our motivation for obedience in Christians. You're loved. That's what he says. Be imitators of God. You're beloved children. Turn with me to John 15. And Jesus did this so well in his teaching. We connected relationship to how we live. John 15, look at verse 12. 15 verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. He's talking about himself there. Our motivation for loving each other is you're loved. And so, being a beloved child, we know this, don't we? Being a beloved, beloved child is not something you had to work and earn. You're born into a family, you're adopted into a family, and you are just loved. This is the way God is. We didn't earn it. We don't have to work hard to maintain it. He has brought us into a family, adopted us, and we are loved. And so we are called, based on that love, to imitate our Father's love. That's what He's saying. Be imitators. Present imperative means it's ongoing and has a growing quality in our life. So, this abundant, this sacrificial love that he speaks of when he says the word love there is in the very nature of God. And listen, so since it's in the nature of God, it is the very essence of Christian community. We walk in it. We know this, don't we, that not only our Father abundantly and sacrificially loves us, but Jesus was not a passive victim in our redemption, was He? He was an active agent, a willing sacrifice. That's why it was pleasing to God, a fragrant offering. Hebrews 10, verse 10 says this, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So the standard for Christian community is Christ's sacrifice. The standard for what my love for you and your love for me, our love for each other is, is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is all we need to motivate Christians. And if we need more, we need to ask some serious questions. We imitate our Father, and that means what He's saying is we walk in love. That's what it means to imitate our Father. This is also a present imperative, an ongoing quality in our life. Luke 6.36 says this, Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. He's the standard. He's the model. Because we are loved by Him, we imitate Him. We walk in love. But Paul wants to make this clear. And so he expands his metaphor now. He expands it with a metaphor of light. So biblical community is a distinct community of Christ followers who walk not only as in love, but walk as children of the light. And he wants to be clear here, and I'm going to be clear, as clear as the text is, 
that we live in a dark world. As the church, remember what you're fighting today. You're fighting it, I'm fighting it, we're all fighting it, is individualism. Well, you want to, as you read this text, to pull these things out and apply them to me and my life out there. But what we're trying to be discipline ourselves these six weeks is to apply this in the corporate body of Christ. Well, that is the context of this letter. As his church, we are to be light. That looks like avoiding something and being something. There's something to avoid in this dark world. What does it say? Look at verse 3. The sexual immorality and all impurity or covetous must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. In other words, he's saying avoid this darkness, this metaphor, and he's clear here. He says sexual immorality, all of three of these that are named, immorality, impurity, and covetousness or greed, have sexual undertones in them. He's speaking into a culture here, just like I am today, and you live in the midst of a culture of a dark world. And people are being saved, and they are being saved in Ephesus out of a particular culture. So he uses a word here, a generic term, pornea. It's a generic term for sexual immorality, categorized as anything outside the covenant of marriage. Absolutely anything. This is immorality. You see, this is a problem in that culture. If you were a Greek, a Greco-Roman culture of that day, and you were lost, now you were saved, most likely you had went to a temple most of your life and even had relations with cult prostitutes and called it worship. That was your every day in that culture. And so he says, that's darkness. And we avoid it. Rampant, rampant sexuality in the Greco-Roman culture was what would eventually undo them. It was the reasons that Jews loathed the Gentiles. Because they were so immoral. So he's speaking here within the church. He said, this is what you avoid. You avoid being greedy. See, greed is just lust. It is the desire to want more and more and more and to never be satisfied. If you ever read of sexual predators and see what motivates them, it is greed. The desire for more, more power, more control. It's what drives them. He says these things are not part of us as the church. Verse 4 says, foul use of sexual language, coarse joking. It's not part of who we are as God's people. Look at what he said. I want you to see this. Verse 3 and 4. Two, two things it says. These things must not even be named. Verse 4 says they are completely out of place. So what does he mean? Let's just think about verse 3. What does he mean these things are not even be named? Does that mean that, that me and Micah shouldn't be telling immoral jokes to each crude jokes? Well, yes, but it means a whole lot more than that. It says to the outside world. They must not be able to look at God's church and see any of these things in them. They must not be able to point to them and say, it's part of us collectively, are you individual? That's what it means. These things shouldn't be able to be named by outsiders that are part of us. 
This weekend, if you haven't read it already, you will. A Houston newspaper is about to drop the news that there has been over 700 instances of sexual abuse in Southern Baptist churches since 1998. Many of these predators were leaders. And I am trying to keep myself from commenting on that. But let's just let the Word of God comment on it this morning. Okay? Because here's what it offers as a contrast to immorality, to pornea, to anything outside the covenant of marriage, to what I lust after, to what I long for. It says, instead, look at the end of verse 4. But instead, it's really important when you see that in Scripture. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So think about that. That's your contrast. Sexual immorality, greed, coarse joking. To be light is to be grateful. Now you just need to take that home. I've I've had all week to study it, you see. I'm sitting there going, that's revolutionary. You trace the pattern, the heart of your sin in your life, and nine times out of ten you're going to come back to sitting there going, he's right. I was greedy because I wasn't thankful. I was lustful because I did not think what God has given me is enough. He said, instead, let there be thanksgiving. That's what the church should be known for in the midst of a dark world. Not just what we picket, not just what we protest, but how grateful we are. He said, rather than self-centered filth, as the church, we should be characterized by gratefulness and thanksgiving. 2 Corinthians 9.15 takes us right back to the gospel again. Lest we forget the core of what we should be thankful for. It says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Inexpressible gift. Brothers and sisters, this is what drives your purity in mine, your holiness in mine. Not simply me being faithful to my wife, but me being faithful to my Jesus and His gospel. This drives my holiness. And so, could we just take a break, a little application break, and ask an introspective question? How grateful are you for the bride of Christ? How grateful are you for His church? And here's a good question. I love it when pastors ask this question. I remember when one guy in particular keeps asking this every time you say that. How do you know you're grateful? How do you know you're grateful? You say, everybody say, yeah, I'm grateful for the church. How do you know you're grateful? Here's a question I asked myself this week. Does my active prayer life reflect my greed or my gratefulness? Now think about that for a second. Does your prayer life right now reflect gratefulness for his church or does he actually express greed for your own desires to be met this is a stark warning especially in light of that news that I just told you about and he wants to know he's still contrasting he's about to contrast light he's still speaking in the darkness right now he's speaking to the church he says for you may be sure of this that is emphatic that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, covetous, that is an idolater, 
listen, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is corporate thinking. He's not speaking out there. So I want to be as clear as I can be today. Does the practicing homosexual have a problem before a holy God? Yes. Does the young man sleeping with his girlfriend have a problem before a holy God? Yes. That's what the text is saying. That the, that the immoral heterosexual who hides his pornography look and lifestyle has a problem before a holy God. There's two ways. There's two paths. There's light and there's darkness and there's only one inheritance. This is what he's saying That those who walk in a pattern of darkness have no inheritance, listen, in the kingdom of Christ and God. That is the now and the not yet. The kingdom of Christ is now. The kingdom of God is then. He's saying he has no inheritance in either one. No inheritance now. No inheritance then. He says in verse 6, make sure we're clear. Don't be deceived with empty words. This is exactly why Jesus is going to step in time and the wrath of God is going to come on the sons of disobedience. So listen, let's be clear this morning. This gospel that you can accept Jesus as your Savior and not your Lord is wrong. It is not the gospel. The very content and context of what he's saying here is that the kingdom of Christ is right now. The kingdom of Christ is about lordship. If he's your Savior, he is your Lord. All of this he's, he means so that he can make a contrast To say this, church, be who you are. He's not guilt tripping the church here. Does the church have what the Bible would call goats? Unsaved church member, absolutely. Here's who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the church. He's saying, look at verse 7. Therefore, don't become partners with them. I love that word partners. That, that word partners is not the word koinonia for fellowship that we, that we oftentimes see in the Bible. This means sharer. So what this is saying is people, the picture is sharing one object. Two people sharing one object. A little, well, you've probably heard this before, but you know when you get over 40, you can use illustrations more than one time. It's just a rule. I don't know if you've read that or not. But... <laughs> When I met my wife, we went to the woodshed. It's in Stanley. And uh, it was the first place we went. I asked my wife, or my girlfriend, not even girlfriend. We, were just, we just went out, first date. I, she wasn't, we were just going out, trying to make our good impressions, you know. And I asked her if she wanted a dessert. Thought I was being very generous, you know. Would you like a dessert? I mean, that's an expensive place if you've ever eaten there. You know what she said? Get your own. I was like, ha, ah, I'm going to marry that woman. I'll never have to share anything in my life. You know what we do now? We get two desserts. We share both of them. <laughs> Amen. That's right. That's, this is the picture. The sharing. One bowl. Both putting our hands in it. Here's what he's saying. You do not put your, bowl, your hand in the same bowl and as an unbeliever. What he's saying, he's saying... Don't be partners with them. That's, that's, what he's, that's who he's been describing. For at one time, look at verse 8. You were darkness. You see that? You were that. But now 
You are light. So what does he say? Woke as children of the light. He's saying that's who you were. But that's not who you are anymore. You've put on Christ. And when you put on Christ, you put on truth. You put on light. You put off that. So how then are we supposed to walk as children of the light? What does it look like? If we're not supposed to share in that, if we're not supposed to pursue that, then what does it look like? Turn with me to Psalms. Starting to miss Psalms, so that's where I keep going back to it for some cross-referencing. We're, we'll be back there next week. Psalms 40. What does walking as children of the light look like? Psalms 40, look at verse 6. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of your book. It is written of me. Verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your, your law is within my heart. Here's, that's what he says. Now go back to Ephesians. Look at verse 10. He says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That word try to discern, it means that we are supposed to examine and do. Examine what it, discover. This is corporate mission. We are together. That's why we do growth groups and communities in our homes. Together it's in a family environment. We are searching these things out together. We discern what is pleasing and we do them. And we do them together. It's to examine and in a practice. It's to say what's pleasing to God. That's what I want to do. See, it's not just about what you're against. It's about what you do. It's about what you're for. I want you to... He's already been there and... Turn to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. What is the will of God? I said earlier, those who believe that you could have Jesus as your Savior but not make Him your Lord, why is that so dangerous in the Southern Baptist land? It's because it affects mission. Look at Ephesians 1. Let's back up to verse 7. Ephesians 1, 7. The couch is in the gospel. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Do you see that? The mystery of God's will for your life is not a mystery. It's been revealed to you. It's salvation because He saved your soul. And when He saved your soul, he, he was Lord of your life. And He says, now you are my ambassador. Go declare that to other people. That's His will for your life. That's His will for your children's life. And if they leave your home and do not know that truth, you have failed as a parent. This is the mission of God. It's not a secret. It's revealed to his children. It's his mission. We do it together. 
So you see, we discern his will and we do it. See how it makes sense? How are we supposed to walk on mission in unholiness? Those people that are saying, look at them. They're supposed to be saying, look at them because of the Christ we reflect. Not the Christ with shame. And so everybody says very clearly. He asks this question. How do we respond when there's secret sin within the church? Look at verse 11, Ephesians 5. Take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead, tell me what the two words is next. Somebody say it. Expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. This is essential to Christian community. It is essential for us to be one with each other to understand we have a corporate responsibility to each other. We have a corporate responsibility. We are connected in Christ. We are responsible to and for the new community that God has brought us into. We have a responsibility not to put our hands in the same bowl of the immoral. We also have to help our brothers and sisters who have put on a dirty garment that God has told them to cast away. That's what he says, expose it. Don't hide it. We don't cover up sin. We expose it. We have a Jesus who is light. He can remove it. And we never cover it up. That's what he's saying. As we walk in light, we uncover impurity. And we lay it at the cross. He quotes here to make his point, Isaiah 60, verse 14. It says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's pointing back to their conversion. So let's be clear. Why do we... Why do we seek to expose sin in each other's life? Because reconciliation is always the goal. It's the goal. Christ saved us and removed our sin. And if we see somebody sinning within the body of Christ, our desire is to expose it so that they may be reconciled to Christ and each other. So we walk. We walk. We walk together. We walk in love. We walk in light, which means we walk in holiness on our Father's mission. Love, light, and look what's next. Spiritual wisdom. So much we could say here. Just get the contrast this morning. Light and darkness. Now, wise and unwise. Wise and foolish. Drunk with alcohol. Filled with the Spirit. That's the contrast. We need to walk in spiritual wisdom. Verse 15. Look carefully how, then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Wisdom, you see, is the ability to live rightfully and skillfully. It is the ability to take knowledge and apply it rightfully and skillfully in your life right now in a particular situation. There is a wisdom... And it is a collective wisdom within the body of Christ that helps us know how that we should live. 
That's why leadership in the church is plural. Not singular. That's what gets men in trouble. It's to lead in singularity when God's called you to plurality. We walk in wisdom. Look what it says. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There he is again with God's will. Verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is a context thing again. The Greco-Roman culture, this was their normal as a lost person. You ever heard of people who live reckless lives? They live life off the end of their own nose. They don't think about the consequences of their actions to them or anyone else. They're characterized by thoughtless recklessness. That's what he's saying. Don't be that way. That's darkness. That's foolishness, but be filled with the Spirit. Greco-Roman culture is, is very similar to even, you've seen it some in Native American culture, to where they'll get inebriated and think somehow they're experiencing ecstasy with their God. He's contrasting that. Quote, that's what he said, I think this is the clearest way to put it. Put yourself in a place where he can fill you with all he wishes you to have and be. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. We walk in wisdom, we walk in love, when we walk in light, when we walk in mission, and we do it together. It's foolishness to live our lives without a purpose and without thought of anyone else other than ourselves and our own family. The Bible says that's foolish. Look at verse 16. Go back to verse 16. This is important today. Just make best use of the time. The days are evil. Now, this is true. I can't speak to ladies because I'm not one. I can only speak to guys. But this happens in almost every man. I wouldn't say every man because I've never talked to every man. It happens to almost every man. Here's what happens when you get about 34 to 36. It happens. I don't know when it happened to me. I can still remember it happening when you realize, Stephen, unless the Lord tarry, about half your life's over with. Oh my goodness. I've been playing around half my life, and I'm like half gone, and I haven't done anything. You know, it's that crisis of belief, this midlife crisis that either results in falling into apathy or to say, I've got to get my head on straight. My life is for something greater. It gives you a sense of urgency for the rest of your life. That's what he's saying. Make best use of the time. Because we are living between the now and the not yet. In the evil, looking forward to King Jesus, ripping the sky open and stepping out into time and space. And when he does, evangelism and mission is over. Because the King will be here. And we long for that day, but we're making the best use of your time right now. Because tomorrow the king could call you to give an account of what you've done with what he's entrusted you to. So can I just give you an illustration? And somebody don't throw a rock at me when I say this. I just want to challenge us as the church this morning. If I give you a trivia question that says, what did the church start? In kids' ministry between 1877 and 1901. Now, there's some arguing about when it actually started. Some say it was 1877. For sure, it was by 1901. It was started, called by that name. You know what it is? Vacation Bible School. 
We've been doing vacation Bible school for almost 120 years. Can I ask a question? When was the last time a church ever sat back and says, is that the best use of time for the mission of God with a little bit of time we have left? That's quiet. I know it's hard when you, when you, when you touch a tradition. I'm just asking the question because if the corporate church is not willing to ask questions whether something is wasting our time, then you won't do it personally. I'm asking the question this morning with a very real illustration that does not Kings Mountain do things during the summer downtown that draws believers and unbelievers alike together? The answer is they absolutely do. They do a couple things downtown. Why can we as the church not, not go down there and partner with them and love people in the name of Jesus as we love our community? Wouldn't that be a better use of our time? Just asking a question. You see, if we're not willing to do this as the church, then we could find ourselves being foolish by not making the best use of our time. You see, you see how you do this? This is how we have to do it. This is how you have to do it. We have this question. I asked a question this morning about that. We put it up here. We take God's word. We take God's character and we lay it out before us. And then we, we begin to ask some questions. What's the best way to bring glory to God in this situation? What's the most pleasing to God in this situation? What could be the most Thanksgiving offered to him in that situation. What's the best way to accomplish his mission? Locally and globally in the world. What's the best way to build up his church? And whatever the answer to the question is, we do that together with all our might. That's how we move forward in wisdom. So how do you grow in wisdom? I wish I could redo that question. The next slide. This is, this is the best, better way to ask it. How do we grow in spiritual wisdom? Well, it tells us. So much we could say. Let's just look at the text. Verse 19. Is that we corporately together address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words... We grow in spiritual wisdom as we gather together corporately to worship. Isn't that not awesome? You're faithfully and consistent to worship. You're going to grow in spiritual wisdom. Acts 13, 2, I'm not going to go there. As they were worshiping, the church was worshiping, the Holy Spirit said, set out Paul and Barnabas for me and send them on the way. It happened during worship. You see, there's something that happens in worship. It's God-ordained. As we all in unity focus Godward, what we did this morning, we focus Godward to Christ, toward our redemption, and we together with our voice worship Him, there's one another stuff that starts happening in the kingdom. That's what it says. Colossians 3.16, let me just read it. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. That's the point. That when we gather together for corporate worship in thankfulness and not immorality, but in thankfulness, we teach each other, we encourage one another, 
We grow closer to God, closer to each other. Do you know the context for psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? I'm speaking the immediate context. This is important. Psalms. If you would have said psalms to the church then, the Jewish people in the room would have known immediately what you're talking about. You're talking about the book of psalms. The song book of the Jewish people. But the Greeks wouldn't have worshipped from that. The Greeks were musical people. He used the word hymns. The word hymns comes from the Greek word. And all Greeks understood that for they, they loved music. The Greeks were very musical people. And they would sing hymns to their deities. He uses the word psalms. He, he grabs the Jewish people. He uses the words hymns. He grabs the saved Greek people. And then he says spiritual songs. That's generic. Grabs everybody. That both the Jewish form and the Greek form are all now focused on one person. Jesus Christ. We focus it on Him. And with thanksgiving we come together and we worship our King. This is how we grow. Corporate worship. But oh my goodness, how much we need verse 21 today. <laughs> Get verse 21. This is, this is how we grow, brothers and sisters, in spiritual wisdom. This is the means of it. We must submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that's a hard one, isn't it? Submit. Question. How do you submit to your, yourself to something that you're not a part of? If you don't think the local church is important, exactly who do you submit to? How do we submit to a one another when we, are not, we don't have a one another? This is essential to be part of a local church. We are supposed to submit to one another. Mutual submission is not just the result of being spirit-filled. It is vital to the reception of it. If you're going to grow, we must defer my preferences to yours. You must defer your preferences to mine. We must bow our selfishness. This is what the fullness of the Spirit produces. The fullness of the Spirit doesn't produce individualism. The fullness of the Spirit doesn't produce independence. It doesn't produce arrogance or superiority. It produces this desire to live in community and humility with each other. It's what makes community in God's church. And listen, it's what makes community in your family. Turn with me to Acts 4. I want you to see this. You know, we went to Acts 2 to start with. Let's end with Acts 4. This is the church, brothers and sisters. Here's, they were worshiping together. Oh, that this is what we ought to pray for, Lord. Acts 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And look what they did. And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, 
and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Brothers and sisters, that's not only community. That's mutual submission. That's what it looks like, brothers and sisters. So, question today as we close is as simple as Battleground Community Church, a biblical community that does this, that shines its light in the midst of a dark world. Matthew 5, Jesus, the perfect teacher and the perfect preacher, said it so well. Verse 13, speaking to us, the church. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. He said to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do you people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is my prayer and I hope it is yours. That Battleground Community Church would be the city on the hill in Kings Mountain. That your growth group would be a city on the hill in the community that you live in. That our communities would be able to look at us and say, man, look at how they love each other. May that be our prayer. That we would love, we would walk in love, we would live in holiness, and we would walk together on this mission until he comes. Let's pray. So now, Lord, we have come now to close our service in worship through communion. So now we as your people who have been saved by the blood of Christ who once were in darkness and now are in light come to remember you. Receive our worship. Thank you for allowing us to have communion with you today. John eight twelve. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we have come to this time, and the way we do it here is, is as we worship, we come to the table. And as you come to the table, take your bread and take your cup and go back to your seat and worship the Lord. I will lead you in communion, and we will take it as one body. The reason we do it this way is in Luke twenty two fourteen we see Jesus in a room at a table with his apostles. It says that a time come he reclined at the table and the apostles with him and he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until the it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. Saying, this is my body which is given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they eat it. saying this is. This cup that is poured out for you. Is the new covenant. In my blood. And so we at Battleground practice open communion. If you have repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are welcome to the table. Family. But God calls us to fence the table. That means he calls us to put a warning that if you are not in Christ, do not come to the table for you will bring judgment on yourself if you do. The plea is even now to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Submit yourself to his lordship. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul warns the people to come to the table in a worthy way. What does that mean? For us today. It means we come to the cross first. Yes we come to the cross first as Christians. Commonly. Repent of our sins. We turn our minds toward gratefulness and thankfulness. Because we remember who we were. We know who we are. Because of Christ. Listen to me this morning. I said this last time we had communion. Let me say it again. Don't roll around in your unworthiness this morning. For we all could. None of us are worthy by ourselves. But now, brothers and sisters, you are in Christ. And it is selfishness to roll around in your unworthiness this morning. I call you to the cross. I call you to prayer for repentance and thanksgiving. Let us pray together and prepare ourselves to come to the table. Lord, as we in the quietness of this moment come to you as those who have been brought out of darkness into your marvelous light and we do confess that Lord in our own selves we are not worthy to come to your table and remember your son and his person and his work but now we are in Christ given the Holy Spirit to us. He's in us and we are covered with his, your son's righteousness now. So Lord, we, we come because we have access to you. We ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we find ourselves sometimes playing around with that old garment that you cast off. And so, Lord, if we have, Lord, would you forgive us? Thank you for the cross. Thank you that we can call Jesus our brother. Thank you that we can call you Father. So your church has for over 2,000 years and will be till you come. So now, Lord, receive our, our worship as we come to the table. In 
Jesus' name.